Welcome back to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess, part of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Today's guest is running for the 104th Illinois House District seat. Cindy Cunningham, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be here. You decided to run for office in the 2018 cycle, and you only lost to Republican Mike Marin 56 to 44 percent. Why did you want to run for public office in the first place? I'd spent the previous four years trying to protect seniors against Bruce Rauner's attempts to cut off all funding for their services. I was up day and night between my regular jobs and between advocating for seniors at the Capitol building and suing him through various consent decrees and through civil action. And when that all got done, I realized that I might have a bigger voice than what I had previously thought, and I definitely had a passion for public service. So that seemed to be a good fit for me, given my experience with state government. Let's talk about your district. The 104th stretches from Danville to Georgetown, including parts of Rantoul and cities of Champaign and Urbana, Savoy. That's a diverse population. What are you hearing from the constituents as you campaign across the district? Thanks, Barry. The very left-leaning parts of the district in Champaign County, even the moderate portions of Champaign County, are very sick of President Trump. They're very sick of divisive rhetoric. They're sick of the way minorities are being treated. I hear that as well in Vermilion County, but mostly from Democrats. From Republicans, I hear that they are sick of Mike Madigan. They are sick of cancel culture with Democrats believing that they're the only voice that matters in the country. The unifying thing is everybody's disenchanted with the way things are right now and desperately want change. And you will be that change. That will be a slow, tall order, though, in some of the ways that your district needs help, such as the unemployment rate. It is above the national average. To what do you attribute that elevated rate? Much of the district lost manufacturing. Vermilion County businesses and factories closed and moved, gradually moved over the last, oh, 20, 30 years, and nothing's come in to replace them. The super high right now is due to COVID, but it was high prior to the pandemic. And then there's the social ills that go along with unemployment. We have gun violence in Danville. We actually are seeing a spike in gun violence in Champaign-Urbana right now as well. And as far as how to combat it, we are going to have to invest in our infrastructure. We are going to have to do some building projects in order to keep our construction workers working. And we are going to have to invest in our schools with better funding through the state. Property taxes are very high across the district. And state funding needs to replace some of those property taxes and put money back into the hand of taxpayers. Cindy, I want to take a step back and talk about what led you to a life of caring about other people to this level. While growing up, you volunteered in the special education classroom in your school. You have a degree in recreational therapy. What motivated you or who motivated you to care deeply and help others starting at such a young age? The funny thing, in grade school, I did really, really well in school. I was reading at a high school level by the time I was in second grade. I was, frankly, a behavior problem as well. So I wasn't sitting in a corner reading a book, waiting for the rest of the class to catch up. I was causing trouble. So the teachers funneled me down to the special ed room so that maybe I could do some help there. And I found I could. It was 
really a powerful thing as a child to find that if I spent a couple minutes with somebody reading, they could learn a little bit and it made their life a little brighter. That was a very powerful first lesson. I just had continuing experiences where helping made such a big difference. My grandmother was a big influence in that. You know, she would see me helping my cousins learn to read or learn their numbers, etc. And she said, you know, you, you should be a special ed teacher. You would be really good at that. Education, I don't have the patience for it, but recreation was good for me. So that's what I ended up doing and worked at a camp for disabled kids and then found my niche shortly after college working with senior citizens. I just really enjoy that. You read my mind leading into the next question. You've worked with senior citizens, disabled veterans, and disabled kids. I mentioned when you were a college student, you spent your summers at a residential camp for disabled kids. Here's a two-part question for you. What is the most challenging group to work with, and what is the most rewarding group? Definitely the most challenging for me was the veterans and the VA with mental health issues. I had an incredibly difficult time understanding I did my best, but I had a hard time reaching them. The guys on the alcohol and drug rehab unit, I did fine with them, and that was rewarding. But I did find overall the mental health issues that we see in our veterans are so severe and so overwhelming. As a 22-year-old young lady working at the VA, it was difficult for me. I never did really catch my stride there. I had a good supervisor, good people teaching me, but it was just, it was hard. I have a lot of respect for the good work that mental health workers do, having had that experience myself. The most rewarding, I think, would be people with dementia, because if you know the right ways to talk to people with dementia, you can take them from showing obvious signs of confusion and anger, and you can validate them to the point where you can see them relax and calm down. And that I do get, that I do very well, and it's so rewarding to be able to reach somebody who is difficult to reach. You were the executive director of the Illinois Coalition on Aging, and you were an appointed member of Illinois' Older Adult Services Advisory Committee. Then in 2011, you founded Cobalt Creek Consulting. Can you tell me about that work? The Illinois Coalition on Aging was a group of senior care providers in Illinois. We worked together to advance our mission of preserving home and community-based services for seniors in Illinois. I continue to serve on the Older Adult Services Advisory Committee for the state of Illinois. I was originally appointed by Governor Blagojevich, I believe. Blagojevich, Quinn, I served under Rauner, and I'm still on under J.B. Pritzker. It's similar. We come together to evaluate what is going on in the state, where the holes are, how they can be addressed, but looking toward keeping seniors in the community. Nothing against nursing homes. The people that work there, and I've worked in a couple of them, we all very much cared for the people who live there. And for the most part, the staff really love the residents. But the model is difficult. Nursing home care, people have to leave their homes to go live there. They don't want to do that. And once they get there, because of funding, very few people take care of a lot of people with heavy-duty needs. And it's very expensive. 
So overall, my life's work has been about reducing nursing home admissions to just those people who absolutely can't be cared for in the home any longer. My company, Cobalt Creek, does that. We help businesses and people start businesses that care for seniors in the community. Currently, I'm working for a couple of ethnic providers with adult day programs and homemaker programs. You know, it's fun. It's very, very busy, but I really feel at the end of the day that the work that I do, it moves me toward the goals that I want. The goals that I have are to keep seniors out of nursing homes and keep them as independently as possible. And my work coincides with that. Let's talk about your declared goals for office. Obviously, you care about your geriatric work, but you also care about, let's start with some of the details, lowering taxes, adding quality jobs, and building a stronger economy. You group those together. What about that do you plan to fight for? I think we've got to start with the taxes. We have got to eliminate some of the property tax burden, particularly, and this grows again out of my love for seniors. It's very important that we be able to stay in our own homes as we age, but when we retire, our incomes generally drop and people have these huge property tax bills. It's very difficult for seniors. But also, our property taxes fund our schools. And so we've got schools in the North Shore of Chicago that are funded by property taxes from these huge, beautiful homes. And I do not begrudge their children the good education and the beautiful buildings that they get to learn in. But then we come down here, we come to our districts that that struggle a little bit more. My kids went to a junior high where potable water wasn't, wasn't a given on any particular day, not because the local people didn't want it, but because there was bacteria that kept getting into the water system and there was no money to improve the water system. That's very frustrating, you know, paying a whole lot of taxes and a simple thing like water. Up in Chicago, in high school, you know, kids have options of learning multiple languages. Out here in rural Champaign County, where I live, they can take Spanish which is good, and we have good teachers. But I would love it if our kids all throughout the 104th District had the opportunity to choose a language that they wanted to learn. Restructuring how we fund our schools would benefit not just senior citizens, but maybe some property tax relief, but also benefit our children with a fairer funding system for schools, because it really shouldn't matter what zip code a child lives in. They should get a good education regardless, and it benefits the entire state and country if we have a well-educated population. One of your other goals for office is improving health care affordability. Tell me what you would like to see happen with the health care system. It's so difficult. It's such a big, big issue. And at the state level, there are things that we will be able to do, but the vast majority of it is going to have to come at the federal level. At the state level, what has been done is cost caps on things like prescription drugs. Prescription drugs have gotten out of hand as far as how much they cost and the amount of profit that the rather greedy pharmaceutical companies are making at the expense of people who are very ill. I'm not against companies making a profit. I own my own company, and part of the purpose of the company is to make a profit so I can live comfortably. I don't begrudge them that, but I do begrudge them these greedy, outrageous profits that they're making at the expense of very ill people. And just to keep a handle on those and act where we can to prevent exploitation of sick people. Let's go back to public education. One of your goals is to invest in public education and expand vocational programs. The four-year university model is not for everybody. So talk about this issue. We have kids that just 
aren't capable, aren't interested, and frankly, their talents don't lean to books. Their talents are leaning toward building things with their hands, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. My father was a plumber, and we lived a middle-class lifestyle while he worked with his hands. But these are skilled jobs, and you don't just buck into the skills for them. Giving kids some opportunity to begin to learn some vocational skills in high school would be one of the ways that we could not only give kids a path to success, but also give kids a path to self-esteem. Because right now, the kids who are praised and seen worthy are the kids that do well reading books. And that isn't everybody, and it isn't the only skill that our society needs. So investing in agricultural education and vocational education with a path for kids to be able to learn and work a trade is is something that we need to invest in in our schools. And finally, one of your declared goals for office, ending politics as usual. And for some of us, that means no more PAC. Citizen United was one of the worst decisions ever. So talk about that. The thought that a company could have rights as if that company was a person is just ridiculous. There's always been that corrupt element to politics anyway, but Citizens United just expanded that. There needs to be campaign finance. The amount of money that we waste running for office is just incredible. You have a candidate that raises a bunch of money from a pharmaceutical company because a pharmaceutical company likes them. And then they have to go and take a vote on that pharmaceutical company's interest. They're beholden to that pharmaceutical company. And we shouldn't have people in politics that are making decisions based upon campaign contributions. The decisions that we make as legislators should be based upon the needs of the people in the district and not on paying back favors that were granted during a campaign. I could go on a rant forever, but I'll refrain. We need to get the money out of politics. If we could publicly fund campaigns and have a strict limit on how much money could be spent, where that money came from, we can take the special interests out of campaigns. At least in that aspect of politics, we can create a little bit purer of a model where at least getting elected is dependent upon the people and not so much upon special interests and companies and you know lobbyists and everybody who stands to benefit from a politician being indebted to them. Now let's talk about the pandemic. We need to talk about the pandemic and the fact that every single day, I am so grateful that we have J.B. Pritzker and not Bruce Rauner running the pandemic in our state. According to Lieutenant Governor of Texas, seniors are dispendable, apparently, that they'll just take one for the team. But with the virus hitting underserved and minorities community, don't you see this divide even greater among the elderly and the underserved? It's horrifying to me as somebody who's served the elderly my entire adult life, to have these people come out and say that they are expendable to profits. It's horrifying to me. I wrote a letter to the editor saying similar things, and I did hear back from seniors in my community thanking me for standing up for them. Does that lieutenant governor not have a grandparent? What is the matter with them that they would think that it would be okay if that grandparent dies just so that a company can make a profit? The sooner that we decide that people matter and start wearing masks and washing our hands and social distancing and doing the things as a country that we need to do to stop the pandemic, the sooner the pandemic will be over and the sooner the companies can get back to making their profits. But these people not wearing masks are the people that are going to drag on this pandemic even longer. Hopefully, we'll come up with a treatment 
and or a vaccine very soon so that it's not a death sentence for minorities, overweight people, people with pre-existing conditions and our seniors to, to lose their lives if they get COVID. But until then, we should just be wearing masks, right? It's not political. It's science. Yes, it absolutely it is science. I already thought, okay, Cindy's a quality individual, spent her whole life caring for other people, and then you topped it. You were a volunteer firefighter in EMTB with the Ogden Royal Fire Department. You taught Sunday school at St. John Lutheran Church in Royal. Then you were a Girl Scout leader for several years, too. Volunteering is more than a hobby for you. When you want absolute downtime, what do you do? <laughs> That's funny. (laughs) I have a hard time with downtime. I decided when my oldest daughter was around five years old, I decided that if I had to be away from her for work and for other things, that the things that I did were going to have value. And so I have been very careful with my time. I don't watch television. I work from home, uh, even outside of pandemics. And so rather than watching television, I work. For my leisure leisure time, I do the things that I can do to try and make my community a better place. And I do find, I still teach Sunday school. We're not meeting right now because of the pandemic, but I just, I enjoy those kids. I enjoy prepping for for that. That is enjoyable for me. Girl Scouts was enjoyable for me. I love the um, Ogden Royal Fire Department. I I spent a lot of time with a lot of men and a few women that I would never have met if I hadn't done it. And I enjoyed their company and their friendship to this day. They're good, quality, hardworking people. And putting out fires is a whole lot of fun. And working it, <laughs> you wouldn't think, but it really is a lot of fun. And working as an EMT is just incredibly gratifying. Able to you know, be with somebody and get their condition stabilized until an ambulance can get out into these rural areas. I really felt like I could make a difference there. So downtime, you know, I I cook for my family. We vacation in years when we can vacation. I like to swim, ride my bike. Oh yeah. Yeah. Ride my bike. I've done a couple of duathlons, which were the Kickapoo Rail Trail duathlons, which were 5Ks and then a 20 mile bike ride. I have to ask, you live on a farm, you mentioned outside of Royal, with your husband, Keith, a farmer and retired police lieutenant. What are some of the more disgusting farm-related chores that we could find you doing? Oh, well, that all revolves around poop, (laughs) shoveling poop. (laughs) What animals? Cleaning up after the cat, cleaning up after the rabbit. We have, in the house, we have a rabbit and a bird. We have an indoor-outdoor cat. We got the cat because there are mice in the barn with the goats. And we didn't want mice in the barns with the goats. So a friend of mine had a cat, Fergus, who was presenting neighbors with rabbits, dead rabbits, on Easter and felt he might be happier here in the country where he could be a working cat. And so he, that's part of the disgusting thing. He loves us. And, you know, when a cat loves you, he feeds you. Cleaning up the dead mink that he deposits at the back door, chipmunks, mice. He hasn't caught a rabbit out here. There's no fences to stop him from running, but just about everything else he's caught. I hope that you can break through this good old boys mentality that's been through your district. How can we help you? What's the best way to reach you or your social media platform that you go to the most? The social media platform I'm on the most is Facebook. And I friend request everybody that I possibly can, but it's under Cynthia Cunningham. And I have website, alexcindycunningham.com. I would take 
gladly take volunteers to help me reach people by phone. We will probably have to be doing a lot of campaign literature drops late summer, early fall in advance of the campaign. And I need help doing those lit drops. I need help with yard signs and all of that. So drop me a message via Facebook, leave me an email via my webpage. Anyway, anybody wants to get a hold of me, I'm very easy to reach. My cell number is available via Facebook. Thank you for listening to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess, part of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Cindy Cunningham, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me on, Elizabeth.